right. Hello, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Really excited for another episode of Politics and Pints on Jackman Radio, although tonight I'm going with some white wine in a solo cup because I'm missing my college days. <laughs> but um, very, very honored and excited to be joined tonight by former Congresswoman, um, PhD, and just overall universal truth teller, Cynthia McKinney. Cynthia, how are you tonight? Well, I'm doing great, and I love that title, Politics and Pints, because you know they go together. <laughs> <laughs> they really do go together, and um, we're actually sponsored by a, a, a beautiful um, independent brewing house out here in New Hampshire called Post and Bean Brewing, and um, we record interviews at the brewery, of course, before this pandemic. Um, we interviewed a bunch of politicians and candidates for president the last time around, and we uh, in interviewed Andrew Yang, Marion Williamson. Wow. Uh, Joe Sestak, um, Bill Weld, uh, Mark Sanford, the day he dropped out of the race. So we like to talk, we like to talk to everybody, you know? Yeah, yeah. I like to have a well-rounded um, perspective and, and views from people. So uh, I'm just really excited to talk to you tonight, Cynthia. Um, you probably won't remember it, but I did meet you 12 years ago in Colorado um, for a big kind of independent Green Party oh. confab thing that Ralph Nader was uh, storming the Democratic National Convention, uh, Obama's coronation out in Colorado in 08. And um, you were at an event with um, Rosa Clemente and Cindy yes. Sheehan. And uh, it was it was just, it was one of the most powerful and amazing things I've ever seen. You were on stage and you were like, you want to talk about woman power? You know, and you were, <laughs> you were up there with them. And um, that was really kind of, um, you know, the, obviously the first time I saw you and met you and I was just you know, blown away by it. I'm like, wow, there's people who get positions of power and can get into Congress and speak so freely and so truth with such truth and conviction about real serious issues. So, and then um, I got run out of town. <laughs> you got run the hell out of town. Yeah. There's no, there's no room for, um, for real truth tellers in that town. I mean, they're few and far between. And, 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 you know, when I think of Cynthia McKinney, I think of, uh, you know, I don't even like to say politician. I like to say leader, um, you know, truth teller, firebrand. I think about like Mike yeah. Gravel. I think about Dennis right. Kucinich. I think about Ron Paul, uh, Rand Paul a little bit, but he's really kind of a, more of a politician than his father is. Cause obviously yeah. he has, he has the air of the King. He gets to golf with the King, you know? Yeah. So that's, a, I, I understand what Rand's doing. You got to do what you got to do. Um, and hopefully he can influence him on foreign policy a little, but you know, I just, I just think of people who are above, they, they look at things from 30,000 feet and they're beyond partisanship. Right. And, and that to me, yeah. that's that's what your time and service is indicative of. Well, thank you so much for acknowledging that and being able to see it, because ultimately my objective while I was in Congress was to represent the people. And um, the, the whole uh, point of of what I was trying to do was, you know, my district was Stone Mountain, Georgia. And I wanted to make Stone Mountain great, right? <laughs> and, and, and every elected official should want to make their area great. And they should be allowed to do that without interference. But, you know, there was so much interference. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And uh, so you're not able to, to love the people in the way that they deserve to be loved because you've got these special interests that are in there grabbing and clawing at every, you know, perk and opportunity to take it away from the very people that you're supposed to be representing. 
Right. And you get to that level. I know you served in the Georgia House of Representatives with your father. You were the first father-daughter yes. combo to ever serve in a legislature, which is so cool. And yeah, historic. it was really cool. And the first <laughs> the first female African-American elected to the Congress from Georgia. So, you know, you've said you've you've hit a lot of firsts, you know, a lot of epic firsts. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you get to that level and it just seems everybody wants a piece of you. And, you know, people... Um, have ulterior motives and um I, I ran for office here in new hampshire in 2012 i ran for the state house as a kind of a libertarian uh classic liberal republican in the mm -hmm. kind of vein of ron paul and gary johnson and um i ran against a couple of incumbents i knocked one of them out but i, I ended up really? not not placing in the top i didn't win but it was really the first uh first election i ran for and i got a taste for it and i really enjoyed it and um I definitely would like to run for office again. So what, what kind of advice would you give to someone like me? I'm 33 years old. I'm not a millionaire. Um, I know a lot of people and I like to, I talk to everybody. I can get along with most anybody. Um, what kind of advice would you give to me and other millennials who want to run for uh, office again? Well, um, I think I would give you the same basic advice that my dad gave me, you know? So, so we're in the Georgia legislature together and he assumed that he was going to have two votes, <laughs> but you know how it goes. So, you know, daddy says yes. And Cynthia says no, or Cynthia says maybe, you know, so it, it didn't turn out exactly that way. And that was a lot of fun because, you know, it all got played out in the newspapers. Um, but uh, he told me uh, two things. One, he said, Cynthia, just remember, they put their pants on just like you do. So you have these people and they have achieved great position, say in your state legislature. But at the end of the day, they're just human beings. They're just like you and they are fallible. So they can make mistakes and you have to understand that. They can be wrong and you can be right and you can beat them. So that was a very powerful lesson. Actually, I was in the process of writing, I was writing an article about the Georgia state flag and, and um, there were many people who are venerated that at that time, they were venerated, they were looked up to, they were, you know, they had amassed seniority. So they were the hot shots in the Georgia legislature and um, they were there when, the state of Georgia changed its flag to the stars and bars of the, you know, Confederacy. And so I um, just asked, I just went up to one of them and, and talked to him just as I was a normal person, just like he was, you know, and he was very honest with me. And I, and I appreciated that, but, you know, I should never have done that if I had believed that, you know, these people, oh, these people are, these are, you know, great people, grand people, then I would never dare to speak to them. And the same thing happened again when I was in the Congress and it was at that time, it was Dan Rostenkowski. Remember, he was a very powerful Ways and Means Committee member and uh, chairman. And um, the issue was whether or not we were going to have the earned income tax credit or if we were going to have empowerment zones. So now with an empowerment zone, as you can imagine, it's a geographically defined area which allows for a lot of cronyism, 
Whereas the earned income tax credit, you just apply for it on your income taxes. And, you know, if you qualify, you get it. So that seemed to be, to, to me, to be more transparent, to be a, 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 a better a way to reward the working uh, poor in our country. And so I went up to Dan Rostakowski and I said, hey, well, you know, I'm in favor of the earned income tax credit. And I don't think that empowerment zones ought to be put in the same, you know, because they were being pulled out of the same uh, pot of money. And you know what? He appreciated it. I was a freshman. <laughs> I mean, I'm not supposed to talk to these guys. <laughs> So I, what I want you know you to take away from this is that it's okay to talk to them, to challenge them, to provide new ideas for them, and then eventually to run against them if need be. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, no, it, totally. And I mean, I I might be hubris in me. I have my eye on running for Congress in 2022, and we have an incumbent right now, um, Andy Custer. She's a Democrat. And she's been in for a while and she, you know she's very powerful she's in with the establishment but um more times than not you know you're just your everyday average new hampshire citizen i just feel like they're kind of falling by the wayside and you know everyone plays politics and it just it's a lot of yelling at each other um, as you know in your six terms in the house and it just re people who are reasonable and, and kind of above partisan politics get drowned out yes by, by well you know here's the thing uh i i never will forget that um one uh, female member of Congress, she came in as a freshman and she was just going gangbusters. And I loved every time she would go to the floor and uh, she would speak at the well. And I just loved everything she did. And then all of a sudden things changed. And so I went to her and I asked her what happened. And she had done something against her values, against her principles, against her will. She was probably very embarrassed, but she, it, what she told me was, Cynthia, I did it to get in with the leadership. Hmm. Yeah. So you see, that's a problem. And so then people lose themselves in that rat race that's created by those interests like you know that if the speaker chooses to go this way and maybe that's not the best way for the people of the u.s unfortunately everybody falls in line or you fall out and that's what happened with me i just couldn't fall in line just because nancy pelosi said to do something i was I just i mean it just didn't even make sense to me i was elected by the people to represent the people. And that's what I wanted to do. I was not uh, voted into office to represent Nancy Pelosi. Amen. Amen. I'm 100% with you on that. And, and, you know, over this last, this Democratic primary, I um, was a volunteer, one of Tulsi Gabbard's biggest volunteers and supporters here in New Hampshire. And um, that reminds me, you know, her father's in, big in Hawaii politics. He's a state senator out there in Hawaii. And, you know, Tulsi was in the Hawaii House of Representatives. So they're, you know, father-daughter combo, you know, the father okay, kind of paved the way for Tulsi and, and helped get her going and put some wind uh, in her wings. But she certainly broke with him on many issues and um, mm -hmm. be became her own person. So I see a lot of that too. And, and you know, Tulsi to me is someone, and I'd love to get your take on her, or, unless you don't know much about her, but she's a pretty independent voice in Congress and somebody who likes to work with 
everybody and try and represent all Americans. And, and we did get a lot of different people from political backgrounds in New Hampshire to our events this time around. We saw libertarians, we saw MAGA people, we saw true progressives, former Bernie people, uh, people who were never political before. So, um, you know, became really good friends with Tulsi and I'm very hopeful for her future. And a lot of people were disappointed she endorsed Biden. So I would like to, you know, get yeah. your take on that. Well, I, you know, I, I, there's no way I could endorse Biden and there's no way <laughs> yeah. I could stand with Bernie as he endorsed Biden. So, I, you know, there's, um, uh, I, I wouldn't even say it's disappointment because, I mean, you know. It's expected at this point, unfortunately. Right, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's something I, you know, and I defend Tulsi and, and obviously I'm not supporting Biden and friends can disagree on things, but right. she is still a member of the Democratic Party and, and she does want to have a future in elected politics and still have a seat at the table. You can be a punk rocker and you can rebel and be like the guest at dinner who kind of throws your hands up and says, no, I don't like this. We shouldn't do that. But you don't want to lose your seat at the table at the same time. So uh, you know. sometimes you need to throw the table away. Well, oh, that's even better. <laughs> even better. I like that. I like that. That's awesome. And um, a lot of people are hoping that Jesse Ventura runs with the Greens. Um, you know, I've interviewed Jesse a couple times for my show here, and I got to spend an hour with him in New York City for an interview. Um, I just, I think he's, you know, in your league with Kucinich and Paul and Gravel and, you know, a truth teller. So what, what would you think about Jesse running with the Greens? Well, I, I, I would love Jesse to run, but unfortunately, the last thing that I heard was that he was not going to run. I, I don't know. That's what I heard, though. Yeah, there's conflicting things out there. I'm, I'm going to hold off, you know, judgment or whatever till we hear something from the horse's mouth, because yeah. I, 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 I can't 100% close the door on it until I hear Jesse say, well, I, I'm not going to do it. I was almost going to do it, Cynthia. <laughs> I was going to turn heel against the establishment and blow up the Democrats and the Republicans. <laughs> but now 2020 is not the time, Cynthia, not the time to do it. You sound just like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've been a huge fan for years, and uh, my brother and I, you know, to, to make politics more digestible for people, we do impressions and do political comedy. So mm -hmm. Toro is one of our favorite ones, and uh, Trump is... Trump is my impression I'm known the most for. Let me tell you, Cynthia, this has been an unbelievable few years. We're draining the swamp <laughs> by refilling it on steroids with all APAC, BB, Sheldon Adelson approved swamp creatures. It's been unbelievable, Cynthia. Ah, I can't believe it. You've got the hands. you it's, got everything. It's all, it's all, look, at the, look at these hands. Okay, little Marco said I had small hands. Excuse me, I don't have small hands. Give me a break. <laughs> You very good, very good. Thank you. I'll, I'll work on my Cynthia McKinney impression too. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll work on that for you. Um, so you know, one one of the big moments that a lot of us in the truth community and people who really pay attention to politics and skullduggery that happens at the Pentagon with the corporations and, and all the nasty people was when you were on the Armed Services Committee, mm -hmm. and I believe Duncan Hunter was the chair. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> You had Donald Rumsfeld, General Myers, and Tina Jonas, the DOD comptroller in your crosshairs. I, I turned to that for strength. I still turn to that video for strength. And I'm like, where the hell did she get the guts and the courage to come at these people the way she did with so much just truth? I mean, they, they were flummoxed. They were yes. completely flummoxed. And Rumsfeld, you could tell he wasn't expecting that at all. No, no, no. And in fact, I mean, you know, it was like, how could a simple question get this man uh, he, he just totally flustered right. to the point where he had to admit 
I forgot the second question. <laughs> right. And I wasn't really trying, you know, I was serious. I wanted an answer. You were not playing. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's my McKinney. Who has the contracts? Oh, <laughs> uh, and I requested that answer in writing to my office before the defense secretary had to run away for lunch. <laughs> it was so, it's just, it's so good. I mean, it, that you, you really don't see that in Congress anymore, Cynthia. You don't see anyone really on, on the Democrat Republican who just has like the courage to do that. And um, when you talked about dime core and human trafficking and all that, I mean, right yeah. now, now more than ever, there's so much revelation going on with it, with the Epstein case, yeah, people realizing what the game, the elite's game is, and, and and how they run things, and how they have power is trafficking children and humans. So right, right. When when you were on that committee, where where did you get that information from? How'd you vet it before you brought it before the hearings? Oh wow, that's a good question. Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I did a lot of research, mm -hmm. and um, so information would come to me one way or another by hook or by crook, you know, when you have a reputation for um, uh, asking certain questions, then you get more uh, opportunity to have those questions asked and answered too. And I think that's basically what it was, is that people just started coming to me and letting me know things. Yeah. So like-minded people who weren't afraid of the truth or where it led. That's right. That's right. right. And, and then right. because, you know, my gateway to, I don't even want to call it 9-11 truth. I call it 9-11 reality. The reality mm -hmm. of the event that we know as 9-11 was the war games. Right. And I mean, you got the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Richard Myers, sitting there. I mean, this is... This is how I learned to stop loving, learn to stop worrying and love the bomb. This is the, this is the tip of the spear, the, the, the brass with all the, all the bling and the look at all my medals. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Pentagon, the death machines head guy. I'm their head man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, That's and, right. And um, he gets a question that, that floors him because, you know, and so what he did was he did the classic uh, delaying tactic by having me repeat my question so that maybe I might forget my my own question, but I wasn't going to forget the question. No. <laughs> I no, knew no. exactly what I wanted to know. And then he lied through his teeth. Oh, he did. Yeah. So he did that to formulate his lie. Actually, it helped our response. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've, right out of Orwell's playbook, you know, a double speak 1984. Right. You, you couldn't get more horseshit Orwellian than that. <laughs> And you had him. You had him. He knew you had him. Rummy knew you had him. That's uh, right. You know, Tina Jonas was like, hmm. That's she, right. She was like a freaking deer in headlights. <laughs> that's right. That's but, right. Uh, oh, my and God. That's how you get, but you know what I tell my students, you know, because I teach in Asia, or at least, I, you know, before all of this stuff, you know, I can't, I can't fly or anything. But uh, and you, I couldn't get a job in the United States, period. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that's I tell my students. And that's how you end up teaching in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, you mean West Point wasn't going to hire Cynthia McKinney to teach a class? <laughs> but um, my God, I mean, you've been proven right and it's time and time again. And we're now 19, almost 20 years out from 9-11 and so much disclosure has happened with it. And um, 
I know you haven't been afraid to go hard in the paint with Israel and, and their intelligence and Mossad. Um, what's your take on um, urban moving systems and the dancing Israelis? I mean, what do you think they, they obviously had foreknowledge of 9-11 and a lot of uh, Freedom of Information Act documents have come out proving these guys were there before right. the planes hit any building and they were set up cheering and celebrating. I mean, what, what's your take on that? Well, it's very interesting that uh, you you mentioned that because um, who is the um, <clears throat> the air hostess who um, I think she was the first one to mention Unit eighty two hundred being a part of that. What did she, she call it? The gel gel. Something? Oh, um, cats. Is that her name? No. Um. She was, uh, she was a stewardess. She was a stewardess, stewardess. yeah. Oh, gelatin B, gelatin B. Exactly, that, that exactly. Sort of she okay. mentioned that. Yeah, so um, I followed her and, um, you know, I, I, I like the narrative that she put forward, but then what happened was, what, just a couple of days ago, the head of Unit 8200 just accepted a job. I just put it on my Twitter. Accepted a job in the Trump administration. Hmm. So I'm saying, okay, um, September 11th wasn't enough for them. (laughs) So now they're directly inside Unit 8200's former leader has accepted a position inside the Trump administration. I'm saying, what the heck is going on? Right. And for people who don't know what Unit 8200 is, can you explain what that is? Um, it's their uh, computer. It's the, uh, it would be like uh, the NSA, I think, the, that does. Um, yeah, of, of Israeli techniques. intelligence. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm trying, let me look and see what, because it, it just, it literally just happened. Oh, no, it's not in the U.S. Uh, it's at Ford, Ford Motor Company, mm-hmm. uh, hires the former Israeli <clears throat> spy leader of Unit 8200. So okay. this is what I said. It, and And so... Uh, he'll be working on the autonomous vehicles because you know that's going to be the next big that's thing. That's coming, the self-driving vehicles, yeah. That's right, that's right. So I said, first New York, now Michigan. So we, hmm. we don't know what, what what might happen in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the bottom line, and, and a lot of people want to believe Trump is his own man and he's uncompromised and he's unbought, he's unbossed. But I mean, just time and time again, I mean, he gets the freaking Golan Heights named after him. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, um, he definitely, he told us about the swamp and now we, you know, we're hmm. expecting to drain the swamp, but he kind of brought part of the swamp with him too. He well, brought I mean, Jesus, John, John Bolton, if that's not as swamp as it gets. That's right. And Pompeo and Abrams to run point on Venezuela. That's- I mean, right. look, there's a lot I love about Trump. You know, there's a lot of great things about him. Yeah. That stuff's not, those are not good things. That's not it. Yeah. Now, you know, what I did when Elliot Abrams was hired, I looked at that because I, you know, 
that's the worst of the swamp, right? You know, that's dragging the bottom of the swamp. That's that's friggin' yeah, that's like scraping for clams. That's like being an oyster <laughs> that's like being an oyster farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No offense to oyster farmers. <laughs> so uh what I did, you know, um Trump's Twitter feed can be used by researchers to um understand what is going on with him in particular. And that's one of the things that I really, I love that he puts everything on, on his Twitter feed. Well, I looked at his Twitter feed. I looked all the way through his Twitter feed. I searched on the name Elliot Abrams in his Twitter feed. It was not there. So what that told me is that Elliot Abrams came by way of Pompeo. Mm -hmm. And remember when Trump said the deep, deep, the the deep state department, remember? He was like, uh, they're over at Foggy Bottom at the State Department. I call them the deep state department. <laughs> right. <laughs> deep state department, Cynthia. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that let me know that Trump knows that it's, you know, it's well, he, he knows the score. He knows the score down there. And, and I think what happens yeah. is he got down there and it's, it's, it's much worse and more horrifying than he ever imagined because yeah. Trump's always been a player with his money and his influence and his connections in New York real estate and all that. But that translated to a point to Washington, you know, to a point. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe uh, like during the debates, remember when Jeb was like, you know, Trump tried to get a casino built in Florida and it didn't happen. Not true. Look, if I wanted it, I would have gotten it built, Jeb. Okay, you're a loser. You're low energy. Yeah. You're a liar. Jeb's a liar. And um, yeah. so Trump knows how to play ball. But there's just there's, there's things that like slip out about Trump that he says, like in the debates, he said, look, you're going to find that 9-11 Saudi Arabia was involved way more than has been previously admitted. So he says that, but then he gets in the office Right. And, and Greenlight's the largest arms deal with Saudi Arabia in history of our relations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like you look at Trump, you're like, you scratch your head at a lot of things because he does say a lot of crazy things and sometimes a lot of true things, but then his actions don't sync up with what he's been saying. But, you know, the fact that he says these things are a window into knowing what he knows. And uh, so... <clears throat> That I, is as important. So he doesn't live up to what he said, but then he gives us this idea that he does know the score. And then, of course, you know, I, well, um, I went up against the same people, but I don't have the same wherewithal to withstand the attacks. And so, um, you know, it is a swamp. Yeah. And <clears throat> you really do have to get, you got to get mucky. You know, I have said that he could select swamp warriors as opposed to swamp monsters. Like, for example, General Taguba. I look at him and I say, okay, this is a swamp warrior. He was in the swamp. He understands the swamp. And then he was given a task by the swamp. He could have gone along with the program. 
and lied to the people of the U.S. about Abu Ghraib, hmm. or he could have told the truth. And what he said publicly is, I'm screwed no matter what I do. Hmm. And so then in the end, he told us, he told us the truth. That is a swamp warrior. Interesting. So then, of course, he was forced into retirement. You know, that was the end of his career. Those are the people that if you really want to drain the swamp, those are the people that you go to. Like, uh, I think he's Lieutenant General Honore, who came into uh, New Orleans after, since, you know, Trump likes military people. Oh, um, oh he does. As long as they look like they could be in a movie, I like the looks of them. If they're from Central Casting, I want them right. to be my joint chiefs. I want them to be my joint chiefs. Right. They got to look the part, Cynthia. It doesn't matter even if they serve in the military. It could be, you know, an actor dressed up as a general, but Trump. Well, I mean, you know, when, when, he, <laughs> went, when he went to the, to the, <clears throat> The uh, I, she was a Fox News host or something, and he uh, she had bought some I, I, Ivanka shoes, <laughs> and as a result of it, and wore them on television, and as a result of it, then she becomes the United Nations ambassador. <laughs> the heck! But you're absolutely right. All you gotta <sighs> do, is, you know. Well, you know, well, look like a trophy wife and uh, you, you can get anything out of the Trump administration. <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, um, blackmail and, and controlling politicians. I got to ask you about Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, clearly he was just middle management for a mega yeah. group, a mega group billionaire Israeli intelligence asset, Les Wexner. I mean, we got to call a spade a spade. That's right. That's and what you're... You remember when uh, the mega group was first mentioned, oh, it must have been back in the, what, the 1980s or something? I, 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 I remember distinctly reading an executive, what is that, E-I-R, executive, you know, you, the, the LaRouche uh, publication. Oh, the LaRoucheians. <laughs> yeah, and so you can disagree with the, with the um, <clears throat> conclusion that they draw, but the research, so if you just read their publications for the research, the quality of the research is phenomenal. And they were talking about the mega group wow. must have been 10 years before anybody else was talking about the mega group sitting in the White House making decisions. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So really all Epstein was was just a front and a face. He was a fake billionaire. The guy didn't really have any money of yeah. his own. And... Um, I guess my question is, I mean, when you're in Congress and you're in there and you're serving, you're on committees, you know, you're doing your votes, you're working with your staff, you're figuring out what issues are important to you. Is it, is it obvious, like, when you know that? Because, I mean, Tulsi told me that Congress is like high school. You have your groups, you know, that stick together and they kind of know about each other. They know each other's business. They know each other's games, where their money comes from. Is it obvious, like, who is, is really being controlled and blackmailed by certain groups? Well, you mean is it obvious to each other? Yeah, when you're in or there, is peer, it peer to peer to the public. Well, okay, so for the public, for people like me who really pay attention and research this stuff, it's obvious to a lot of us. But when you're actually in there, because I mean, a member of Congress, a very, very powerful, influential person, um, their money has to come from somewhere, and they're 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 serving they're 
constituents' yeah. interests the most, you hope, but they're also serving other interests. So when you're in there, is it kind of obvious uh, on some levels that certain members are on the take from certain other governments, oh, yes. from, you know, special interests, they people oh, yes. have black, blackmail on them? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's, that's part of the ball game. That's so, the game, isn't it? Yeah, if I had... If I had gone, you know, like they take the trips to Las Vegas and they gamble, and that's a way to give money under the table to members of Congress. It doesn't show up anywhere. And if I had gone <clears throat> to Las Vegas and gambled and, you know, if I had just, you know, played the game like that, then I probably, you know, in fact, I, I, if I had said yes to a lot of things, I, in fact, I had one person tell me that I could... Um, uh, be in the Congress for the rest of my life if I went along with a certain program. I mean, it's just... Mm. They, it's that you know, deep, isn't it? That That's what they, t you know, they, they, uh, they are open about it. And so you go along with them. If you don't have any conscience or if you don't have any values or principles, then you, it's easy to get lured into the trap. And once you've got, you know, once you're in there, uh, you belong to them you just, and everything else is just a fake. Right. They got you and then you're just going through the motions and essentially you're just, yeah. you're a mouthpiece and a puppet for whether it's a corporation, a foreign government, um, right. you know, a lobby group, big oil, big pharma, big defense, right. the, the gun right. lobby, APAC. I mean, it seems APAC just has the run of the town, the run of the town. Yeah, they do. They do. And, they do. Uh, because even, they keep score on everything. They they know everybody's business. And see, then what they do is they have a network <clears throat> of people who volunteer. So they volunteer, say for example, this is a real life story, uh, a real life example that uh, occurred in the Congress and it's happening today. So um, they send a volunteer to you and the volunteer says, uh, I'll, I'll keep your books for your campaign. And so then that person becomes your treasurer and they handle all the money and they're connected so they can get money into you as well because you're playing the game. You got them as opposed to the CPA in your district, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so then what happens is uh, they'll say, well, do you need somebody to do your taxes? And so then from the campaign books, they're controlling your personal books. Wow. And then all of a sudden, I had a member of Congress come to me and say, you know, this is how it started. And all of a sudden, I, uh, they know everything about me. Wow. This was a real conversation with a member of, with a current member of Congress. That's frightening. It is frightening, but that's the way they do it. So that's the lever that could be lev the leverage. Yeah, for sure. Wow. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, say for example, another example of something that happened was um, <clears throat> a member of one particular member of Congress who's not no longer there uh, was pretty much a pain to the APEC people. This is why I'm talking about APEC. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Was pretty much a pain because he. Um, uh, basically kind of didn't play ball sometime, but didn't play ball all the time, you know. Wasn't a rubber stamp. Wasn't a rubber stamp. 
or it was a it was a rubber stamp, but some of the letters were missing from the <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so basically what they did was they went into the <clears throat> the the Congress members staff who was responsible for foreign affairs and made sure that that person uh, got married to the right person. I mean, hmm. so there is no stone left unturned in order to make the member of Congress vote the right way. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, our media is obsessed, and I want to talk to you about Russia and Putin and active measures and all that. But they're obsessed with blaming everything on Russia. But I mean, we have this foreign power in Israel that is really, you know, an extension of the U.S. in the Middle East is, is our, is our uh, stepchild out there, you know, as kind of a buffer against the Arab powers that has, case in point, what you just told me, those are just a few examples, but there's even more specific examples about them spying on members of Congress and yes. trying to entrap them and, and get them in compromising positions and then, yes. you know, sh <laughs> shaming them. Right. And then what, what, like what happened with you in, um, I think it was your 04 race where they helped your primary opponents and they yeah. funded, they funded anybody who would run against you in Georgia. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Plus they redistricted me every two years too. So I was having new constituents all the time. Mm. And of course, you know, redistricting is supposed to happen only once every 10 years, but uh. you know, uh, they use everything that they, every tool that's available is used if you are perceived to be, a non-compliant um, person when it comes to APAC's wishes. Right, right. If you even acknowledge the humanity of the Palestinians or say That's their right. treatment so in the Gaza. That the way the system is uh, carried out, that I represented Stone Mountain, but I have to demonstrate my love for Jerusalem before <laughs> right, right. I'm allowed to love my constituents in Stone Mountain. That that is so backwards. Yes, it is. It's not right. It's not right yeah, at all. And, 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 and we, I know we've been talking about Israel, but it's not right for any country, no matter That's who you right. are, a foreign power. We're the United States of America. That's right. We're not the United States of X, Y, and Z country. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mentioned I mentioned Russia and Putin. What what is your take on Russia and Vladimir Putin? And what do you think Vladimir Putin's goals are and his motivations? And do do you think he is really someone the United States can work with for? peace and arms, arm reductions and avoiding a new Cold War? I, specifically those uh, issues, yes, I do believe that he is someone with whom the United States can work and um, is interested in arms reduction and uh, the avoidance of hot wars. So, uh, but there are some people who are itching to have a hot yes. war with Russia. <laughs> I know it. It's genocidal, yeah. and we got, we have to we have to stop it and you know expose it for what it is. It's the the arms industry, your neocons, yeah. um, and I really think at Trump's core, regardless if Putin has something on him or whatever that bullshit is, I think he does want improved relations with Russia. Yes, I I agree that that Trump Trump is a game changer in so many different ways, and a disruptor. And as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the system does need to be di disrupted. I just want to be able to play a role 
in determining what comes after. But, you know, so, so like someone told me the other day, I can't wait till things get back to normal. I said, no, we don't want that normal. We want a better normal. We want to do better. Exactly. We want, right. Exactly. We want That's improvements. Right. We want enlightenment. We want to move forward with a new posture. I mean, you know, we're all on this globe here sharing this planet, 7 billion of us. And That's um, right. it's amazing to think that two individuals like Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin could have so much power and influence. So I just feel like people would want them to get along and have a good relationship and, it's just, it's, it's, it's pants on fire with our media here in this country. It's absolutely absurd. Well, the Democrats have become the party for war. Yeah, McCarthy. And, uh, excuse me? You know, McCarthyism and war. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, they, they really do have become captured by their special interests. And they really don't have an agenda to serve the people of the U.S., so Trump talked about in, um, infrastructure. He's been talking about it for a mm. long time. So I'm, I'm ready. I, you know, what I do is on my Twitter and on my Facebook pages when I'm not in Facebook prison, um, <laughs> yeah. I post China has a, a, a whole system of brand new airports. And this new airport, Daxing Airport that they built, I haven't been there, but it's in league with the new Singapore airport. I've been to the Singapore airport where it is a destination in and of itself. You can go to that airport and do sightseeing at the airport. There's a butterfly garden in the Singapore airport. So you go, you want to see butterflies? You go to the Singapore airport. Where's our new infrastructure? Where's our new train stations. Where's our high-speed rail? When we were in China, we went from, we took high-speed rail out to uh, Urumqi, which is way out. It's sort of like uh, uh, going to Portland, you know, sort of like way out on the West Coast. So we took the high-speed train there. Where's our high-speed train? I mean, you know, what we have is pitiful. In yes. comparison, it's, you know, so uh, we could be moving people, we could be uh, so much that we should be doing and spending our money on, but it's all get, getting stolen from the spe by the special interests and uh, the war machine. That's right. And that's that that was what drew me to Tulsi Gabbard's campaign. Like just case in point, this is one thing I would tell people, I would say, we are spending $4 billion a month in Afghanistan. We've been over there for almost 20 years. So imagine that. That's $48 billion a year. Rounded up, that's $50 billion a year. Imagine if each state was block granted that billion dollars from the Fed, a billion dollars for all 50 states, what we could do with that. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, and um, so there, there should be no potholes. I drove across the country, I think about two years ago, and, you know, the the roads aren't drivable. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. This is the United States? Right. No. So, you know, and we used to be the innovation hub for the world. And we've just lost the edge. We've lost, we've lost everything. And part of the democratic policy was to ship all of our manufacturing capacity out of the country anyway. So, I mean, that was the beginning of the end 
of all of that, you know, and the patent reform that took place. And so um, there's so many areas of life now that we know are in the swamp. Our health care is in the swamp. Our education system is in the swamp. Our infrastructure is in the swamp. The, the military industrial complex controls the swamp. So, you know, even our psychologists, instead of trying to make this a better world and a more peaceful world, they've been co-opted by the military industrial and, and teaching people how to torture. I mean, yeah. so, you know, it's just, um, uh, we do need to drain the swamp. We need to be a part of creating that which comes after the drainage of the swamp, which is why I have joined with my son who wants to start an intentional community. So that's, you know, so I've been looking at intentional communities around the world, what makes them successful, um, what makes them sustainable, and then trying to figure out, okay, so now what can we do with our little humble plot of land down in Georgia, what can we do to advance the cause of, uh, in, of sustainability and humanity? Because these people want me to be afraid of you. They want me to, to it, they call it social, social distancing, but it's anti-social distancing. They want us to hate each other. Hmm. They want, you know, yeah. you know, it's just amazing. And they want us to be comfortable with their program of hatred of humanity. And I'm just not going to buy it, not for one second. I love that. I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think that's, that's a great direction to take things in because with sustainable communities and direct farm to table and yes. build, building up organic and, and everyone in our community coming together, you're cutting out the corporate middlemen. We don't need them. That's right. We don't, we don't need to have fruit come from uh, eight, 5,000 miles away to here in New Hampshire when it could be grown right down the street at my friend's farm. That's right. You know, or we can go to my local butcher. We don't need meat to be, we don't need a, right. a, a poultry farm in Iowa to be supplying chickens here in New Hampshire. That's right. It can all be done right here. So I think that might be one good thing that comes out of this pandemic thing is we're going to actually look inward and look more local and turn to ourselves and our, our local communities and start realizing that the fed, you know, the federal government has its role and can play its part, but really the power is with us in our hands in local communities in the States. That's exactly right. And another thing that good thing that has come out of this is an awareness of the importance of having a good immune system. And so what does that mean? That doesn't mean taking that pit, that pill from Big Pharma, but it does mean getting your uh, healthy, wholesome, uh, nutritional uh, food, um, getting your vitamin D from the sun, taking your vitamin C. So you know, so we're way more knowledgeable about uh, how we can boost our immune system with natural products that are not patented and um, that uh, are just just natural. So, you know, I, I, I love blackberries, blueberries, you know, and I, I'm just way more uh, aware of what it is that I am consuming. And that's a darn good thing. And like you say, the farm to table movement, that is fabulous. So, that, you know, when I went to Europe, what I discovered was that the restaurants, they, they don't have a menu because the menu mm. is dependent on <laughs> what the farmer has available. I like that. 
It's wonderful. Yeah. It's exciting. It's That's right. It's, That's it's innovative. Right. It's collaborative. It's organic. It's beautiful. It's, That's right. it's like a, like a symphony coming together with all the players playing their part and you're consuming That's something, right. something beautiful and natural. That's right. That's right. So this is, you know, and I, I go outside and I walk. And so during the initial stages of the lockdown, it was, it was, the birds were singing. The birds were rejoicing. The trees <laughs> were swaying. I mean, they were dancing. Yeah. It was one, the, the, no uh, flights overhead, no motor cars on the road. It was just fabulous and you know it was as if we had taken a pause hmm. and allowed the earth to breathe yeah mother earth could heal herself a little bit and take a breather that's right yeah. and i think that's a beautiful thing that's going to come out of this too that's right that, and, not, that's awesome. and not only that i love to see over in saudi arabia all the oil sheiks taking a hit it's like we don't need you we're not, exactly. you know what I mean? Oil now is not worth, you know, the toilet paper you wipe your ass with is worth more than oil. I think that's beautiful. That's right. That's exactly right. And we don't have to do the fracking at home either. God. So, you know, there's, 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 it's, it's bad that um, this, this virus was created. Um, it tells us that level three and level four bio labs need to be shut down. We don't need this kind of research. There's so much life-giving research that could be done rather than life-killing research that, you know, seems to thrive. Oh. And um, so there's, we do have an agenda and our agenda has to be opposite their agenda. We know now what their agenda is. So I was um, interested. It, it was very interesting that Nancy Pelosi put the digital dollar hmm. in her bill. Remember? So yep. they are showing their cards. They're showing yeah. their cards. We just now have to uh, resist everything that they want to impose on us. Yeah, it's just a small group of people. I mean, we we, right. we we have the power of the people. They're a bunch of fearful oligarchs and kleptocrats and ivory towers, you know? Exactly. So who are they? I mean, Bill Gates, who the hell is that guy? Who made him God? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, he alone is responsible for so much death and misery. Um, the uh, uh, Monsanto, hmm. um, you know, well, Monsanto now is owned by Bayer, Bayer, Bayer. and uh, so Bayer has assumed a lot of liability because there's a lot of liability out there from, uh, from Monsanto, but these are technologies of death, yeah. and it's about time that we celebrate life, and we can celebrate life and love humanity, and I think what we're seeing is the juxtaposition of love versus hate. Yeah. And love is way more attractive every time. That that was a sign uh, Dennis Kucinich had in his office, I think, in the Longworth House building. Love is more powerful than hate. Yeah. And and that's just something I'll take with me for the rest of my life. It's very simple, but it's so true. That's right. And that's, it is. And, right. and, you know, to me, what you did in your congressional career, what you've done with your um, 
trips on like the dignity and humanity to Gaza. That's, that's yeah. love in its purest form. That's bold, yeah. bold, fearless love, Cynthia. So you're to be applauded and commended for all that. So we're going to wrap up here shortly, but uh, I know we were talking about some people you would like to see around Trump. So I want to do Cynthia McKinney's fantasy cabinet for Trump's next term because oh, you can't just throw that on me like that. Oh, for Trump's. Well, then you know what you have to do. You have to invite me to come back. Okay. All right. I, so, I really would like. That's a good idea. Research. And then okay. we can focus on Trump's fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> and something tells me there's a lot of, uh, you're probably in agreement with me and Ron Paul and this. There's a lot of departments. Let's just get rid of them. Yeah, for sure. Just, just yeah. Homeland Security, get rid of that. We don't need that. Homeland Security is the first to go. You know, um, it became law. Uh, well, it passed the International Relations Committee. I was on the International Relations Committee, but it passed with a voice vote. Hmm. If I had known better, I would have demanded a, a, a roll call vote. But I voted no voice, you know, by voice. Right. The A's and the nays, and I voted nay. But it doesn't count because it wasn't counted. Right. But, you know, uh, yeah, we could get rid of Homeland Security and not miss a beat. Absolutely. Well, that, that can be uh, Jackman McKinney, too, next time. We'll do a uh, Cynthia McKinney's fantasy cabinet for uh, Trump's second term. Because, I mean, we're realists. Trump's probably is most likely. He's, he's the favorite to win in 2020. Well, I mean, who, who in their right mind is going to vote for Biden? And you know, there, although there were a lot of people who were not in their right mind and they voted for Hillary, I mean, you know, that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's very, very true. Yeah, I, I, people, you know, were always bummed that Bernie endorsed and I, I do a good Bernie. My brother does a good Bernie Sanders. Bernie, why did you endorse Hillary Clinton after you fought her so hard? <clears throat> Look, I wanted to live to see my grandkids graduate high school, okay? Okay. Because <laughs> as you know, as we all know, Cynthia, the Clintons are stone cold killers. Well, that's right. That, that, the Clinton body count <laughs> accumulating. That's, that's <laughs> a real thing. Chronicles put out yep. by, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was the first one to buy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you wrote the forward forward by Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, before we wrap up here, um, where okay. can people find your work, Cynthia? And you mentioned a sustainable community with your son. If you have any more information you want to share with people about that, where can we go to support you and your son and find you on social media? Well, um, of course, on social media, I'm on Twitter. That is the place to be. And uh, then after that, and I'm very, very active on Twitter under my name, Cynthia McKinney. Um, you can find me, but you have to look very hard on Facebook <laughs> and that's Cynthia McKinney official. I have a website, uh, all things com, and I have a Patreon page, uh, under Cynthia McKinney. So I, I'm, I'm around, you just click around like George W. Bush did on the internet and, uh, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> and I would invite everybody, you know, when, when you find me, join the conversation. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's amazing. Cynthia, it's been, uh, it's been a breath of fresh air talking to you and I'm so glad that you're still active. You're doing what you're doing and uh, you are a rare, rare breed in American politics to reach uh, the levels of power and influence that you did. And, and you always did the right thing. You always stood 
by your convictions and you didn't give a damn what the powers that be said about you or the kind of blowback you would get. So you're an inspiration to people like me and other truth seekers. And um, I applaud you and, and I thank you. And um, I urge- And when you run again, I'll come up there and knock on doors for you. I'm, That's a promise. I'm going to hold you to that, Cynthia. Up okay. here in, even even if it's sub, sub-zero weather in New Hampshire, you'll still come up and I do that? I love the cold weather. <laughs> we don't get very much down here in Georgia. Right, right. We, do you ice skate at all? We get you on oh, skates. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad was from Canada, so I grew up playing hockey my whole life. And, uh, okay. you know, when you come from a Canadian uh, lineage, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, blasphemy if you don't play hockey. So. Okay. <laughs> That's a big, big thing up here, but awesome. So folks, check out Cynthia McKinney, um, you know, support her on social media, on Patreon and check her out. And if you're ever interested in seeing, you know, highlights from her career in Congress, the YouTube videos are all there. They have all the receipts. Grab your popcorn. It's some of the, just some of the greatest, just firebrand, truth-telling, epic scorching of the deep state and the powers that be. Um, Cynthia, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure for me as well, and I look forward to coming back. All right, and we'll do this again. All right, folks, well, thank you for tuning in, and you can support Jackman Radio by smashing that subscribe button and checking us out on Facebook um, under Jackman Radio, on Twitter at Jackman Radio, and I'm on Instagram every day. Check me out on there at Senator Jackman, and we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. Until next time, folks, be well. Be well.